Welcome everyone to the second episode of the Rat Den podcast. And before we jump into this, I really just want to say thank you all so much for the support on the first one. Um, It didn't like blow out of the park with views, but I didn't expect it to. But the views that it did get and just the support from all of you guys and like the greater community, like I had people from the like content creator side being like, oh, that's awesome. I want to be on or just like all of you guys in the comments just really enjoying it. Um, like I said, I didn't expect it to do like amazing algorithmically because it's a new podcast and it's a very niche topic, but I'm surprised anyone even watched it to begin with. And the people that did, you seem to really enjoy it. So I uh, thoroughly appreciate that. But I digress. Let's um get into the topic of the video. Today's topic is something that I... I've wanted to kind of harp on for a while, but I didn't want to make a full video on it because I think it's more just talking points I want to go through, and that's finding comfort in horror. I feel like I see it so often that so many people are like Resident Evil or Silent Hill or just like horror in general is their comfort genre, and that's really compelling to me. Because I'm one of those people as well. I think if like I'm having a bad day or just I'm like a little stressed out, I'll play like Silent Hill 1 on my little emulator Game Boy thing. Or I'll distinctively go to like a cheesy 80s slasher movie like Ice Cream Man or like Friday the 13th. Because it's just something about those are both familiar and something about horror itself is kind of comforting. And I kind of want to talk through some points as to why I think horror is comforting. And specifically calling back to like Resident Evil and Silent Hill, I see constantly people say that like, those are my comfort games. And Silent Hill, as opposed to Resident Evil, Silent Hill is a lot more scary, I'd say. Um, Resident Evil does have its horrifying moments, but both of those games are kind of similar in like their tank controls and puzzle solving and just atmospheres, I suppose. And I kind of want to talk about why people find those so comforting and why I think people find those so comforting. And I think a big part of that is like the liminality of it. You're a lot of the times by yourself, which is very soothing to people. Like you have these big moments where you're like engaged with a monster, but then you have these other moments where you're kind of just in these empty spaces where people should technically be, but there's no one there. The only sounds you have are like your footsteps and like some slight ambiance. And it's very liminal and I think that's a big thing. People find liminality very comforting. It's like that absence of people can kind of drain stress away. Like it's unnerving, yes, because it's horror and it's meant to be unnerving, but you also get this like sense of comfort. It's the same thing with like the save rooms. The save rooms are like made to be these cozy, everything's okay, catch your breath, you have these nice tunes playing in a game that is frankly terrifying at points, but a lot of the time you're also just alone. And I think that's another thing that people find very soothing is not having monsters around you, not having really anything but yourself. And while that could be terrifying for some, I think others as they engulf themselves more into horror becomes a very calming thing to them. I can relay it a lot to like how if you're incredibly sad 
listening to happy music doesn't feel good. Most of the time when you're sad, you want to basically just raw dog your emotions and put on the saddest music you can and just cry it out. And I think that is also a coincide flip to like horror. If you're incredibly stressed out, horror is such a intense feeling, like being afraid and fearful. It is one of the few emotions I think you can't really just dive like into your mind and like fix it. You know, it's something that you have to, it's probably one of the only emotions that you truly feel like you have to see something or experience something to truly be fearful. Like you see a spider and it scares you, but if you don't see a spider, like thinking about a spider probably isn't like terrifying you. It might make your skin crawl a little bit, but the actual act of seeing the spider invokes that feeling of fear. And I think playing games or like watching movies or just interacting with different horror media that like actually scares you. You're basically like face to face with something that terrifies you, but it's in a safe environment. Like you're at home or you're just sitting at your desk, you know, it's not going to come out of the monitor and scare you. And that lingering fear might come later, but it's still... I think more and more as people become accustomed to horror and start becoming sort of immune in a sense, um, it becomes a safe space where it's kind of like, okay, I'm really stressed out right now. I need to put myself in a stressful situation. And it kind of becomes like this therapy for people where you can interact with something that is very stressful, but it's totally safe. And you're not, you know getting over your fear of spiders by having spiders put on top of you. I can play some game that gives me immense arachnophobia, but the spiders can't come out of the screen and get me. I can kind of interact with that at a distance. Which is another thing is I think nowadays in our modern age, there's a lot of stuff to be worried about. You know, you have things like economic collapse. You have like social things like, oh, am I going to be appreciated? Are the people around me going to like me? Um, you have like self-worries, like, can I do it? Am I going to make it? All these little factors of stressors that you're just very fearful of throughout the entire day. And I think in a very similar vein to listening to sad music when you're sad, when you're scared, sometimes horror can be a great escape. You can have something that you're genuinely terrified of that gives you validation for being so fearful, but can kind of put those irrational fears at the back of your mind because now you have something that's actually terrifying and instead of being worried about oh am I gonna be able to talk to my friends tomorrow and not be like make a fool of myself now you played nun massacre and you're terrified of nuns and you're looking around the corners of your room like I said I think it's very like escaping to have something like that that drives like a genuine fear that you can actually rationalize as opposed to being afraid of everything and not being able to rationalize it at all. Another thing I think that horror becomes very comforting in is kind of on the same scale as like the sad music when you're sad is that happy endings sometimes kind of suck and happy endings are literally everywhere in almost any media. You have like these action movies where, you know, the hero always comes out on top, which is awesome. Nobody wants to feel like life isn't good. 
You know, like life isn't fair. But realistically, sometimes life is not fair. And I think horror kind of demonstrates that in a really interesting way that I think a lot of people can connect with is most horror movies don't have typical happy endings. Most horror movies or horror media, bad things are happening to people. And I think that's really beneficial to a lot of people. Like I said, listening to happy music isn't going to make you happy. But sometimes seeing something that is very realistic and grounded in the sense of not everything is, you know, peaches and roses and daisies and you get the girl at the end of the movie and everybody's happy and they live forever, happily ever after, blah, blah, blah. You know, the typical Hollywood shtick. A lot of horror is very grounded where people don't make it out, you know, specifically like slasher movies. You normally have a final girl with a trope um, or like Skinamarink which is, I think, a big comforting horror movie for a lot of people, too. I'm going to go on a tangent here, because uh, I have never talked about Skin of a Rink, but it's something I want to. Um, Skin of a Rink is, like, my perfect example of a very comforting horror movie that is god-awfully terrifying or completely boring, depending on who you are. I think I fall kind of in the middle, because I think it's terrifying, and I can appreciate its terrifyingness, but it's shot in such a way and it seems in such a way that it reminds you of being a child and it's super liminal, which kind of takes you back to that like nostalgia, which I think nostalgia is a big part of horror too. And the whole thing with Skinamarink is it is so nothing most of the time. Towards the end, there's a really big climax. It's just such a lol dull of a movie throughout most of it it's like watching it with the lights off and it's it's just so comforting in like all of the wrong ways which i think is a big part of horror in general like i said previously with liminal spaces it's like you know something's off but it it's dreamy in a sense and i think that's a really good way to describe skinamarink is it's very dreamy like, it feels like you're a child and you woke up, like, hazy in the night and you can't tell if you're awake or you're still asleep. And I think that's a big part of why people really enjoy that movie is it does. It's kind of comforting in a weird way. And that's a big part of horror in general is focusing yourself into being comfortable. I'm going to get off of this topic because I'm going to go all over the place, but I'm going to jump into my next point. Um, people in horror are typically not very, like, they're pretty unidealistic. And that is people in general. And this kind of goes back to, like, the happy endings in movies and stuff. But people in horror typically are either super tropey in specifically in like slasher movies where you have like the jock and like the pretty girl and like the nerd and like the stoner but even like moving from those tropes you have things that like um cabin in the woods you have these characters that are kind of these tropes but they their characters are expanded out and what makes them into these tropes is like this gas also if you've never watched cabin in the woods and you like slashers or like horror movies in general please go watch that movie right now that movie rocks um anyways horror has very unidealist like unidealistic people but that just makes them very real because most people are not like 
black and white, good and evil. People have, you know, different motives. They have different, like, days that they wake up and they don't feel as good. I think um, Chez is a great example of this, where you have um, Sarah, who is so human, and she is missing, and probably uh, murdered, but she's missing, and... You feel bad for her because she's obviously missing and she's this person, but then you see more and more, and I see people talk about this with Chez all the time, especially even like when I covered it, they're like, wow, I felt bad for Sarah, but she's a horrible person. She was really hard on her team and said mean things and like, yeah, you can still feel bad for her though. That's like if your friend went missing... They're probably not like 100% the best person you've ever met. They have their flaws because they're human. They are very, very human. And I say more often than not, horror has these very like, here's the good side of humans, here's the bad side, but they both come together to make up one thing. And I think that's lacking in a lot of other media. And I think that's, people like the realism of it. And that can be, like I said, that puts them in the shoes where it's like, okay, well, if I was in this situation, I might act this way or I might do this thing because I'm human like them as opposed to your super cool action hero who's willing to risk it all because he has plot armor. Like, I think people like realistic things and I think that's um, nice to see realistic things in media. And horror is not the only thing that does that, but I think horror does it very well and does it pretty consistently. I'm going to go ahead and jump into the questions here because I almost answered one of them already and I was trying to stop myself from doing that. Um, this one comes from YouTube. It is Chin, but, oh my God. Am I supposed, is it, is it Chib, Chibini? Well, um, it's something. If this is you, you know that you wrote it, so <laughs> I'm sorry I can't pronounce that. I will butcher everything. Uh, they said, with online horror being much more saturated currently, what's an aspect you think brings down slash elevates a series beyond the common expectations? And that kind of leads into what I was saying is, and really the whole topic of this video is I think there's so many series right now, specifically talking about um, bringing down, that are so focused on either like the story or like specifically horror, like just getting the scares out there, like bang, 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 here's this spooky thing. Ooh, look at this spooky thing. Um, I don't think every episode of a horror series needs to have a scare in it. I really don't. Ooh, depends on how you do it. Like if you're doing Mandela catalog where you're posting like once a year and they're these big, like, I mean more than once a year, sorry. Um, you're posting these big things where, you know, there's a lot of story being uncovered and the story is starting to ramp up into that climax. I still think there's so many series that could benefit from just pumping the brakes a little bit, like calm down a little bit, bring us into the lore, bring us into the world, do a little bit of world building. Like we don't need like the giant history. We don't always need lore. Like give us like the little details, like do some world building. Um, if I'm invested in the story that this takes place in and invested in the characters, maybe, you know, 
take that world and separate it from the characters, but show me like something in this world and just really build it out. And I think that's another thing too, is that especially in these series when they're constantly chasing like that scare and they're trying to like build you up to get that scare. I think they, they work so much on the tension and the buildup that you could get such a bigger scare if you droned it down a little bit and you made me comfortable. Like if you're building this tension, like if you're building this tension up and then I get hit with a scare, it's good. That's effective. That is a very meaningful way to do horror. But I also think some of these series, and I don't see this very often, benefit from like lulling you into a sense of comfortability and then hitting you with horror. I think Lacey's does this specific thing very well. Um, like for example, like pet shop, like pet shops. I mean, even, um, diner, it kind of lulls you into like, oh, it's this lost media game. Um, actually Lacey's does both of these well now that I'm thinking about it. Um, it kind of lulls you into like, oh, it's this lost media game. Look at the cute girly game, the flash game. And then it like, you're like, oh, this is cool. And like the music sort of distorts and you start getting that little tension, but you're still like, uh, it's not like that off. And then the scare will hit you. Also, Lacey's does really well, like I said, with the world building. Now we're starting to get like, oh, here's like the outside perspective. Here's like some more stuff going on. Um, I think it'd be really awesome if Lacey's like had a site or just had like an episode sort of dedicated to looking at the site. Because that is something I want to see more of. But we still get those little glimpses. I think the um, the way that they're taking the world building is a little bit slower than I would like. But overall, I still enjoy it. And I think it's a good example of kind of that flip side of the coin where it's not always scares. But we're kind of telling the story. But we're also like padding out the world. I hope that made sense. It might have not. Um, anyways, moving along to our second question. And this second question comes from the email, which if you're watching on YouTube is on the screen, but if you're an audio listener, the email to send requests for content collabs or questions is ratden.inquiry at gmail. Um, I'm just going to use this person's first name, but for future reference, if you're going to send an email, um, I didn't say this, so this is totally on me. Um, give me like a name that you want to go by and probably like pronouns in case I use like your pronouns at all. Cause I don't want to like mess that up. Um, and I also don't want to dox you. So I'm pretty sure that this is this person's full name. So I'm just going to say their first name. Uh, yeah, let's not do that. Let's just, just say what you want to be called in your pronouns and we'll go that way. Um, I only took one question. Don't worry though. I'll definitely get to your other questions. They were all great. This one just fit kind of the theme I'm going for. So this one's from Kier, and they said, where do you think the fear of analog horror versus web horror comes from? Is it just nostalgia? And then they had some other stuff they added on there. Um, I think a lot of it is nostalgia, and I think a lot of it is that comfortability. I think comfortability, not only in the sense of people being very comfortable in terms of horror and like coming to, you know, that immunity that you know desensitization of horror to where it's just not as effective as it used to be um chromudgeon actually has a um great video on this about like the immunity of horror uh if you haven't watched that video totally go check it out because that is a fantastic video but 
I can personally speak from experience that I grew up like listening to creepypastas very religiously to a point to where they really used to terrify me. And then I just kind of listened to them as background noise. Like I used to, they used to be stuck in my head. And I think that immunity of horror and that comfortability is something that is utilized in certain ways really well. And there's other ways it could be utilized better. And yeah, I think a lot of that is nostalgia. I think nostalgia is in itself, it is very comforting to be like, man, I remember being a kid. That was the best. Why did I ever grow up? Now I owe the IRS money. And I think a lot of that does, you know, lead into nostalgia. And with analog, you know, you remember like VHS tapes, you remember like those weird emergency broadcasts or like with October 31st that I covered in my Halloween analog horror video. Um, that was like sprinkled throughout with just commercials that I remembered. And it did it in such a building way that I really like forgot I was watching something scary at times. Like it did it perfectly. It comforted me into a place of nostalgia just to be like, oh yeah, you're watching something scary. Not only that though, I think some of these series just, some of the people making these series as well are just really good storytellers. And if you have a good story in horror and you can expand on it in a very good way, I think that's a big part of fear in general. If you can make people scared of something they probably hadn't ever thought of before or twist something in a way that makes it so much scarier is um, a big reason as to why all these things kind of lead into the fears. I think there's a lot of reasons aside from just nostalgia, but I do think nostalgia is a big playing factor in that comfortability of making people scared. But to say it's only nostalgia is cutting it short, basically. Another thing that I think, you know, really adds to the fear of it all is it's kind of just a new medium. I think every once in a while we, on the internet specifically, because once the internet came out, everything just rapidly expanded forever and ever, and it probably always will be. But it's just, we frequently, like every, I don't know, I want to say every eight years or so, we get kind of like a new medium or like a new take on horror. Like, you know, we had creepypastas, which were scary stories, which are like a tale all this time, but now they're internet and like, it's all on the internet. And now people are making like pastas about like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, um, which is one of my favorite troll pastas of all time that rocks so hard. Uh, or you have like, you know, analog horror, which is like a fairly new thing. And now you have like digital horror, which is an incredibly new thing. Or you have things that are like completely different, totally like their own thing that no one is talking about right now. Um, I think just as we get new mediums, they're also more exciting. And then tropes are forming and people start getting kind of like, boohoo, I don't like it no more. It's not scary. And I think that's a big part of where the fear comes from is it's new and it's exciting. But yeah, uh, great question. Thank you for that. I think that's, uh, I could probably make a whole podcast episode solely dissecting what fears actually derive from the two, but I think that'll do. I think I rambled enough there. Um, moving along to our final question as we're rounding out at probably like the 30 minute mark. Uh, Will there be a second episode of Humor in Analog Horror? This was by Miss Sad. My Sad? Me Sad. 
You guys roast me in the comments for mispronouncing things, but I swear I don't do it intentionally. I just have hair brain. Um, yes, there will be a second episode at some point. Basically, I'll give you a little peek behind the curtain of how I do things. I have a massive Google document where I take a series that I find and I put the name down and then I paste the link and then I look through them and then I close them out whenever I'm done with them. And I probably have like four pages, five pages of just links. Um, how I find or how I kind of formulate these compilation videos, I guess is what you would call them, where they're like multiple series is I have the idea of what I want to cover and then I find things that fit. And then once I found enough that I'm like, that will make a substantial video. That is enough runtime. That is cohesive enough that I can kind of culminate them all together. Then I'll make the video. Um, humor and horror is probably like a sequel to that is probably a long way away. There are projects that I think could fit into it, but I think the first humor and horror was very concise. Like, and that's how I kind of want all of those videos to be is they all fit cohesively in a sense that it feels like these things belong together and they're revolving around the point that I'm making. Like with the first one, a lot of it was I wanted to talk about tropes and I wanted to talk about people's like struggles with tropes. Um, I think Happy Star might have been a little off the mark there, but I really wanted to talk about Happy Star from a creator perspective, which I also feel like kind of amplifies that meaning of tropes and people being dissatisfied with tropes because you can make something that's super great and you love it or, you know, you're really nervous about putting it out into the world and then people stomp on it because, oh, you use the scary face or you use this. And I think Hot Dog Archives approached tropes in a very funny way and they were like, hey, you can do this stuff and like poke fun at it. And then like Happy Star specifically seemed very revolving around the creator process and being sick of it. And then um, Born Globo is like analog and digital horror and like meme culture turned up to like 11. Well, it's like trying to make something very cohesive and deep, but it's just like barraging you with like Gen Z meme humor. And then you had um, Siastic's videos. Why did it? You had Cystic's video. See, I pronounce things that I know how to say. Or I mispronounce things. See? It all leads into each other. Um, yeah, you have um, Sissix's video, which is like if you had a video essayist talking about like something in analog being real, I guess. Um, very hard to describe his videos, but they make sense in like it was just all cohesive together. Like everything kind of fit together in my head. And like I said, there's things I could do, like Hobo Hobo, but I really want to save Hobo Hobo and like Nebula and Quasar for a video revolving around like early CGI animation, you know, like Gummy Bear and um, Butt Ugly Martians, like that really disgusting, gross looking CGI era. And those are two series that I think use like that ringtone basically is what I'm trying to say. Like the ringtone adds um, nostalgia aesthetic well for like horror based content. So there's things that fit 
into the like into a second humor and horror but they don't fit the way that i want them to and that's a big part of like my process is i could make a compilation or make a sequel but there's other things and it's i'll, I'll go through and i'll find like i'll go through the projects and i'll be like okay no this works perfectly for this video as opposed to like mm, this one might kind of work here I'm just like, no, this one fits. And so I just compile them. And as more and more I find, I end up being like, okay, that's a video I can make now. Okay, that's a video I can make now. Like there's one video I want to make that is basically just like the most underrated things that you are not watching. Like projects that have like 50 views and like four subscribers, but they are making like some of the most interesting, like new compelling horror that I've seen. And there's a couple of those that I found that I really want to make. Um, but yeah, there will be a sequel. Don't you worry. When? Don't know. I might have pulled the trigger too fast on the uh, digital horror and flash. I wish I could have padded that video out with some more projects, but because a lot of those projects were a little bit too early on the boot. And now I feel like I have to go back and cover them like singly, like Milton's I'm probably going to end up covering at some point, like standalone and like dude i'll probably end up covering standalone um what else was even in that video was it just that and then Lacey's? was there something else in that video oh no oh it was claradrill duh it was claradrill um which yeah kind of fit like i want I, I didn't know when else i'd talk about claradrill or at least like specifically the flash game which is something i've always wanted to bring up uh yeah between doing horror game reviews and then trying to do like, well, I guess analysis. I don't really review games. I don't say this game's good. I tell you why the game is good and why you should think it's good because I'm a YouTuber and you should not think for yourself and only think what I think. Um, but between like the analog and digital horror analysis and like compilations, the horror games and like a new series I want to start doing that is going to be like horrifying, like historical horrifying stuff. Like I want to take things that happen in history that are actually probably scarier, like man-made horrors beyond my comprehension and, you know, do like little history lessons um, that are scary because I really love history. And I think there's some really terrifying history out there that people don't know of that I would like to bring to the forefront. But yeah. Um, thank you for your question again. Yes, at some point I will do it. Probably, maybe. No promises. But it is one of the things that's like on my docket that I would like to make a sequel of. Um, yeah. So we're rounding out at about 42 minutes on my recording, which probably means it's like 30 because I mess up a ton. Um, but thank you all for watching and listening. Watching? Watching? What is wrong with me today? Thank you all for watching and listening. Um, I think we're going to keep up with this bi-weekly schedule. I think doing it every other week really works for like my content schedule. And I think it's a really appropriate time in between that I can come up with some good talking points. I think this next episode, we're going to keep rocking out with myself because um, that's going to land like a little bit after Christmas. And I don't want to do any collab requests through like Christmas and before because um, it's just a stressful time of the year for everyone. But come January, I think, first-ish week, we should have our first collab. Um, 
don't really have anything to plug here. You can go watch my Mystifying Oracle video if you would like. I put a lot of effort into that one. Um, that is Alec Kister's other project aside from Mandela Catalog. And with that, I will thank you all again for watching, and I will see you in another week or two. Depends on what I get out first. Um, yeah. Goodbye!